Dear listener, it's podcast number... 48. Not 49, it's... 48. That's definitely right. But we're here today, and you can probably hear the difference in the sound. We're not sat on the wiggly sofa. We're in Office Wiggly. The wiggly sofa is full of Ricardo and his guests, who are attending Wild Night at Wiggly Wigglers, and they are looking tonight for bats with the Batman. And they are then going to look for badgers with you. So I hope you've lined some up. I've had a word with Brock and, and he says he might come out to play. Phil, what have you been up to this week? We completed harvest, except for the sunflowers of course, and we've now started ploughing and cultivating to plant next year's crops. And I think you've been emailing around three hedgerow row contestants. Well, I would have to say that the level of emails between Ricardo and myself and, to some extent, Alison, has now stooped to such a level Mm. that I think peace has to break out because we've got as far as personal insults now and I think we've lost the plot, really. So, have you all had a group hug? Well, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree for the time being. How boring. But Ricardo is in a minority of one and that's what counts. (laughs) I am going to invite... Swag, the whole of the swag committee along, and I'm going to perch them, each of them, on the sofa, and I'm going to allow you to quiz them on their rules. But until then, the hedgerow row is over. It's over, folks. But of course, if you want to wind it up, email richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk. He's very easily wound up, I must say. (laughs) pwg at lowerblakemare.co.uk or alison at wigglywigglers.co.uk and if you really want to stir it go for head honcho heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk and I will be sure to bring your points to the sofa tell me about ploughing up and down up and down it's one of my most favourite occupations yes I know it is the first primary cultivation to prepare the ground for the next year's crop and the main purpose of it is to loosen the soil and to bury all the remnants of last year's crop underground and it also helps to bury any weed seeds and kills those and then we get a nice clean start for the new crop. Why are people obsessed with going straight? Why don't they do it in big circles and make it into pretty patterns? It's tradition, Heather, that it is always said that you should plough a straight furrow. And actually, the real reason is that in times gone by, particularly when you ploughed with a horse, you were judged on how neat your work was. And to some extent you are now, so that your ploughing has to be level, even, the right firmness and so on, and how you set the equipment up. And ploughing straight was just one of those measures. Ploughing matches are one of the big mysteries of the countryside because, first of all, they seem to have been going for hundreds of years and they're called things like Wormside Agricultural Society and, and Eskleyside... Agricultural si- Improvement Society. Sorry, Eskleyside Agricultural Improvement <laughs> Society. And it seems to me that I really don't know why you would need a competition to see if you were ploughing straight. I can't see the point of it. At a very local level, it's just the same as having a competition to see who's got the best cow or who's got the best sample of barley at your county show or whatever. What, you mean like best practice? If you like. And it grew out of improving the farming techniques and sort of years ago, immediately post-war, 
A lot of these ploughing societies really were in their heyday at that time, but many of them are 150 years old. So that it's really when modern agriculture started, if you like, when we started cultivating the land properly, you know, 150, 200 years ago, they were one of the things that were born out of this exciting new age. So when they call agricultural improvements, agricultural improvements, they mean how to get the most food from the smallest space. Partly, but not necessarily. They have evolved into something so that the cleanest farmyard, every gate on the farm is the same and painted. It's a sort of a rather old-fashioned measure of excellence in that your yard is swept spotless, there's no rubbish blowing around. And at the same way, when you plant your crops, you plant them perfectly, you don't make any mistakes. And so, are they a little bit out of kilter with, say, FWAG's way of looking at things to, I don't want to mention hedgerows, but <laughs> to leave your hedgerows for three years and to have your margins and your set-aside and, you know, the government's new way of looking at farming is obviously to incorporate wildlife and environment and sustainability. How have the ploughing societies got in with this train of thought? Some ploughing societies have come up with competitions, best managed set aside, best managed margins and hedges and so on. Mm. But at the moment they're in a minority. The ploughing societies have got a bit of an issue, their membership is getting older um, and they, they tend to be a little bit old fashioned. And you know, the idea of having a disco at the annual ploughing society dinner is very frowned on even now, and this is just too much. I can hear the ducks flying in on the pond, and we're about to go up and listen to Richard at Wild Night. Right, so we're coming out into the garden. Welcome to Wiggly Wild Night. And we've got the pleasure of Mike Coleman's company from Ham, Hereford Action for Mammals. And Mike's going to give us a treat. And he's got his little bat detector and he's going to help us hear the antics of bats as they negotiate their way around the Wiggly Garden. There's around about 16 species. Right. That represents about a third of the, the terrestrial mammals. In, in this country, not a lot of people really actually realise that. No, but, not you know, people know that. You know, no, that's um, right. I'll say the current figure because some species apparently become extinct in this country and then they reappear again. But again, that could possibly be because of the sort of warming of the climate and some of the foreign species are sort of drifting into this country. So so which are the most common species? The most o- obvious one that you're more likely to see around your properties are the pipistrelle bats. And there's, there's basically two common species of pipistrelle. One is called the common pipistrelle. Um, the second one is what they call the soprano pipistrelle. They get the n- difference in the names because one has a, a call at about 45 kilohertz and the other one has 55 kilohertz call. So the higher frequency one is the soprano. So when they fly by, you obviously can't hear 45 kilohertz. No, what you is can't. it that you hear? What you're hearing, if, if you can hear them, of course. I would say probably most of us here probably wouldn't hear much in the way of bats saying. I'm Although wondering whether, whether... yeah, No, I'm wondering, because I'm sure I used to hear bats more when I was younger. You, you will do. Yeah. And what you're, what you're picking up there is the lower end of the frequency of the call. When I say 45, that's what we call a peak frequency. Mm-hmm. So there is a band either side where they're giving slightly higher and slightly lower. 
Some bats give very broadband, some are very narrow. So would they use the different frequencies of sound like that we would use different frequencies of light for different colours? They'd they'd see different things, do you think? I think they're probably using it as a slightly different way of of seeing the picture of of their surroundings. It's very difficult to explain, really, because we don't use ultrasound to, to get about. But if you're in an empty room, it sounds hollow, doesn't it? compared with a room full of furniture so you get that dead sound and that echoey sort of sound and I'd imagine for a bat they're probably seeing the things on the wall that you and I can't see again if you, if you put your hand closer to your face as you speak you get that sound don't you you, you yeah. hear your own voice yeah. going back yeah. so you sense that there's something there you know you can sense that someone's behind you you know what I mean yeah. how do you think they differentiate because if bats of the same species are sending signals at the yeah. same frequency and they're responding to the sound when it bounces back. How do they know it's the one they sent? <laughs> it's a difficult question, that. I often wonder that myself. <laughs> I don't actually know the answer to that, but I can say that something that did strike me once was how do bats actually stop deafening themselves, to be quite honest, because their ears are very sensitive to the echoes of the sound. Surely that when they're sending out their pulses... And they're not sort of blinding their ears with their own sound. And, and apparently, they actually sort of engage and disengage their auditory system so the that they send a pulse. species have the ability to hear each other's frequency range. So, where you've got the two pipistrels on different frequencies. They probably do. I mean, certainly the pipistrels do. I mean, most yeah. of the British bats call between round about 20 and, and, and 60 kilohertz. And you think that they can all. Pick up that range. I, I'm sure they do hear it. I mean, again, I don't know the answer to that specific yeah. question, but obviously they're tuned into their own particular frequencies. And the different frequencies, of course, is what tells them apart from our point of view. Because for most of us, you see a bat go by, it's just a little black, hmm. big butterfly sort of thing <laughs> flitting by, and it's very difficult to tell. So, modern science and technology has, uh, has blessed us with these little sort of devices, which is an ultrasound detector. And a bit like um, you might have your, you know, your little radio at home, or your little pocket radio, where you tune in a, your favourite radio channel, whatever that be, Radio 3 or 4, or even Radio 1 maybe. These back detectors tune in the... No, I didn't think so. <laughs> These back detectors, you, you use them to tune in the frequency of your favourite bat. So do you get um, that market one where you've got a picture of each of the bat that lights up? When it's up not quite, but the, the, up, the upmarket ones... I mean, this is just literally a, what they call a heterodyne detector, and it will... It just tunes into the bats. The upmarket ones actually have a little recording device in them these days where you can record the sound, take it home, feed it into your computer, and you get these nice sort of sound analysis sort of charts that you can you can use then to measure the differences between the, the pulses and all this sort of stuff. And neat little gadgets start from around about £30, £35 for a kit. And real professional bits of kit, £3,000, you know. This one was right down the bottom end, but it, it does make good. It really does make good. So. You, know, you get your soil right, you get your garden right, you get the, the invertebrates right, so you get the birds, and of course bats are the stars and the birds of the night, effectively. And a lot of people will come and say, oh, we haven't got bats, but you turn one of these on and you hear them usually. But typically around here, I would say, you, you're probably getting your pipistrelle bats under the, the felt that you were talking about. You, if you get bats in the loft, the chances are it, it may be some of them what I call myotis species, the naturist bats. house two miles that way, which is a much older house than this yeah. one, and they've got a big colony of bats that they've got in between the timbers and the brickwork, and right. they live in the fabric of the house, and there's a lot of them. I think I know that way, way you mean, actually. Cause but I don't know what survey. sort of bats they are, but I mean, whether they'd be within range to come to here. The reason I know they're in the trees is because one of them fell over. 
Right. And when we moved the tree, a cloud of bats came out of it. A cloud of bats. So that's quite encouraging, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. obviously yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. There is a property um, just off the River Wye that maybe the one you're talking about. The one I'm thinking of is is a roost of pipistrelle bats. Mm. There's three exits, and within an hour, a couple of years ago, they had 1,200 pipistrelle bats come out. Really? You know, that's you know, you sit there with a little tally counter. <laughs> Because um, you can't count them on your fingers, you know, one of these things, and you have two or three people at each uh, at each point counting them as they come out, and it's like a firework display in reverse. You know, you you sit in there, and it's doom, 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 doom. You know, it's constant, absolutely incredible sitting there watching them. They didn't have so many this year. We think the the colonies do move around a bit, a little bit fickle. They're not always they don't always stick to the same site. You get colonies in urban areas to the same extent. Yeah, I mean the thing that got me interested in bats was the fact I was sitting out, sitting uh, in my lounge one evening and a bat went by and I thought, oh, bat, you know, okay. And another one, and another one, and another one. And I thought, something's going on out here, you know, like, you know, so popped outside and basically there were, there was a colony of bats coming out of the neighbour's house. I mean, it's about the same age as mine, it was about 15-year-old property. Pipistrelle bats behind the gable end, mm. not in the loft. And, and I got interested in the bats and contacted somebody. They dragged me into the the local mammal group, and it's all history after that. <laughs> it's a great environment here for many species. You know, you're probably talking about five or six species, and, and when you think, I say we've got only about 16 species in the country. Yeah, it's pretty. Herefordshire is really brilliant for bats, and a lot of it's to do with how the land's managed. It's great to see the hedgerows, the trees. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it really is. Yeah. You know, to a to a bat, the hedgerows. Are, are the rootways? <laughs> you know, I mean, there is you know cases of sort of woodlands that are completely isolated, and the bats yeah. don't come out. <coughs> the so they don't like flying across the open space, or some species don't. But to say there are some bats, and you know, we might hear one later on if I switch this on, like flying out in the open. The big nocturnal bats, mm. like 12, 14 inch wingspan, they like it out in the open. They're not frightened, and they're, they're probably the ones that you find roosting in the tr- in the old trees. They get behind the bark, they get in behind the cracks and the rotten bits where the branches are broken down. You know, they don't need much room, just a couple of millimetres. I thought I saw a bat then. That did look like a bat, didn't it? It did, didn't it? Let's turn this on and see what we've got, shall we? I've got the detector tuned at around about 50. I say that's a, a typical sort of um, frequency to start on because you're typically going to pick up pipistrels. How close do we have to come? The pipistrels you'd pick up probably about like that. Oh. Yeah, that one change your thing is now to yeah. see it <laughs> yeah and once you pick up one if he's if he's there long enough you can tune up and down to see if he's a 55 or a 45 and this one and this one's a nice 45 pipistrel so that's a common pipistrel and if you listen very carefully Did you hear that little thing that looked like it sounded like a blown a raspberry? Mm-hmm. That's their feeding buzz. As they locate something, a small insect, they'll increase the rate of the pulses. And they hone in on it, the insect, and eat it, basically. And these will be picking up midges and little mosquitoes. They won't be eating the moths. Typically, 3,000 midges a night per bat. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah, so if you don't like midges and mosquitoes, like most of us... ideal animal to have in your garden. That's right. Well, there's some species of moths that are able to detect the fact that they're being pursued by bats. Yes. Yeah. S- some of them have these protective systems whereby they hear a bat 
they just stop flying and drop like a brick and if they're lucky the bat <laughs> they might just get away it. with it yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but of course there are some bats that are onto that trick and they, you know, they know about it right right they won't take those so just go for it well, a lot of people think that bats are like mice they're not actually mice at all you know to talk about flying mice and you think about a mouse or a rodent typically a couple of years your pipistrelle bats provided they're not predated 15 years so they, the, do, they will learn yeah. you'll have a bat that knows local knowledge and yes. stuff like that won't yes. yeah. do they all live together in a colony um, as in different species or I would say generally yes for that yeah. you do get some mixed colonies in certain situations but that tends to be when they're hibernating so if you go in a railway ray tunnel looking sort of at hibernation sites you might get different species but in a sense they're not really sort of roosting together they're just mm. finding their own little niche and, and settling down for the winter but normally, in this sort of property, you might get the pipistrelles between the, the felt. In the open loft, you might get brown long-eared bats hanging free. Mm. The horseshoe bats don't so like light at all. Light. Oh, yes. They, they're not blind. That's another sort of yeah. myth. You know, you talk about blind as a bat, but the only time a bat is blind is when it's just been born, just like most of the small it's rodents. Interesting. And if you get one in the room, you're much more likely to persuade it to fly out of the door or window if you switch the lights off. That's if correct. the lights yeah. are on, it, that's, it upsets that's, them terribly. If, if they're not actually doing any harm, that's usually the best way to handle them. Well, handle. You shouldn't really handle them. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's to close the door, open the window, turn the but light out. If you do, they're not aggressive. If you get hold of one, you'll hang on to your finger without... Yeah, so your finger has a perch. Yeah, it doesn't... Yeah. They're not... If yeah. you get hold they're of a mouse or something like that, it'll invariably bite you, but yeah. the, the bats don't seem yeah. to, do they? They're quite amenable. That's, that's right. I mean, if you're talking about, say, the pipistrelle bats, you'd be lucky if... Well, you'd be unfortunate if one was to actually pierce your finger because they've got very small teeth. But some of these big noctual bats you get around, and if they were to give you a nip, you'd know about it. They would mm. draw blood. And, you know, it, they would recommend that anybody who finds a bat is not to pick it up with your bare hands. If you have to pick it up at all, then put a, put a mm. small towel, lift it up and put it somewhere on the side of a wall, a tree. A lot of grounded bats this time of the year, typically young bats, and they get dehydrated. So if you've got a little sort of teat or something and can mm. drip a bit of water on its lips, that would often get it going again. A lot of bats actually die through desiccation. Um, One of the women that works here called Syl, she actually took mealworms home yep. to the bats and in the evening they can actually go outside and throw them up in the air and they yep. actually capture them. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah. She, 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 she said it was really great, you just went out there and you threw them up and they would ca- actually come along. Yep. Yeah, that's, I must admit I did do that in myself once you when I was very, very small. <laughs> it's quite interesting to watch them yeah. do that. So that bat now that we've just seen, it's, it, presumably it must have just come out of its roost. And it kind of spun its way around us, and now it's gone off. Yeah. And now, where will it have gone to? Sort of open fields and open. Yeah, I mean, it, again, like like some birds, they will have their favoured feeding places. Right. Dorbenton bats, for instance, you know, they, they'll often roost in small small cavities and caves or mines and that. But they'll come out and they'll patrol the rivers. If you ever see bats sort of foraging just over the surface of the water, it'll more than likely be a Dorbenton bat. Right. right. Ones that are flying higher up more than likely the pipistrelle bats right. who have on that particular night are yeah, so on a river trip it knocks into my <laughs> fishing line <laughs> uh, yeah. that's probably a pipistrelle yeah, yeah more than likely mm-hmm. but again like birds I often try to liken them to birds because you know we, if you talk to people who are keen on birds and recognise them they recognise them because of the context oh, here we go so that's, that's a noctual bat that's the big one and they'll be very high up if you if you're lucky enough to see it, it'll be very high up. Usually anything to do about 
100 and sometimes even 200 feet up sometimes, but incredibly loud. Wow. It's gone again now, you must be a long way off this. This one up there. Very, very high, just on the yeah. edge of perception range. I thought we might hear one of those tonight because this is typical what I call nocturnal country. Mm -hmm. the big what sort of range do they have? In terms of the, the sound? The sound, yeah. Again, it depends on the species. Something like the noctule bat is a, a bat that feeds on the bigger insects, the big beetles, the large moths, the things that are really going to be sort of flying higher up. Range, maybe 500 feet, something like that, with a noctule bat. They're actually throwing out the equivalent of about 120-odd decibels, they say, the noctule bat, which is why they literally splat one of these out because they've got a very wide band. So you can be scanning up and down the frequencies and you always tell them there's a nocturnal round because it interferes on the whole frequency range on your bat detector. But the small, some species, like the brown long-eared bats and the, um, the horseshoe bats, they're very quiet in the sound they emit. But the long-eared, for instance, is that its other name is a whispering bat. And it really, I mean, sometimes you can hardly hear it. In fact, if there was one flitting around the other side of the display area, you probably wouldn't even know it was there. And they, they just, they emit very, very small, quiet ticks of sort of t -t 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 like and you'd have to be pointing right at it, and it would have to be pointing right at you before you'd even hear it. And again, unlike the pipistrelles, they would be the ones that would be picking up the moths. But they'll go into your barn, they'll see, as it were, with their echolocation, the tortoiseshell butterflies that are hanging up, and they'll literally take them off the really? wall. Yeah, they'll go along, they'll clean the insects that are warming up, like your moths. You know, even your moths warm up at night, you see the wings vibrating. Yeah. That long ear bat will pick that up. They'll just go along and they'll hover, move along. Really? Different, completely different sort of style of foraging yeah, yeah. To, to some of the other bats. But of course, a lot of the time you don't see them, or you don't even know they're there, unless you've got one of these things. <laughs> right, guys, we're going to wander up now as darkness is falling up through the farm trail and see if we can see some barn owls and whatnot and look at the badger set and see what we can find so far wildlife has definitely been coming out to play tonight so let's hope it continues to do so mind this log in the center of the path guys this here the bramble there guys yeah. hope you enjoyed richard's wild night Latest review from Guppy's Random Ramblings. Now, this guy's just bought a can of worms from Wiggly Wigglers and on his blog he's written They also do a weekly podcast. By God, it highlights how balmy they are. Balmy they might be, but they are also very good people and worth listening to on a regular basis. Now, I was thinking, dear listener, that you should share the Wiggly podcast with someone else. So... Would you mind, if you like it and you enjoy it, emailing your buddy and telling him about it or her about it? That would be fab. And in the meantime, over to Monty for his weekly Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty, a weekly fact on worms. Charles Darwin found that his number of earthworms could bury a football patch in 15 tonnes of soil a year from the casts that leave on the surface. Thanks a lot for that, Mum. And this week at Wiggly Wigglers comes to an end. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye for now. Bye-bye. We've got a director. <laughs>
Mary just counted us in for the podcast number 49. Thank you, Mary. We've never been counted in before. 48. 48? Mary just counted us in. Oh, Stop. so good. Right, tell you. <laughs> I won't do it again. No. Come in close, Phil. Dear listener, it's number 49 podcast and Still this... Still 48. Um, <laughs> it was right. 48 a minute Sorry. ago. <laughs> <laughs>